you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. John 11, 17 to 37. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Mike. Uh, it's my joy to serve as one of the pastors here. Hey, how good is having kids here? Kids, can you give us a big cheer? Yeah. Woo! Great. Uh, now, it's going to be a bit chaotic, um, but I'll, a couple of points I want your involvement Kids, so the first thing I want you to do, and everyone, adults, big kids, we can get involved too. I want you guys to make a noise like an angry horse. Can everyone go like this? Great. Amazing. All right, now the second thing, second thing I want you to do is go, I'm sure if you've got a little sibling, you might have had this experience before. Can you, can you pretend you can smell something really stinky? Go, ew, stinky. Ew, stinky. Great. All right, the third thing, can you guys cheer? Hooray. Ready? Hooray! Amazing. Great. It's good being up the front of the microphone. I can say whatever I want here. Um, all right. Well, um, it's great having kids here. Just a quick thing for the parents. Um, next door, there's creche is still open, so feel free to take your kids, even your big kids there if you need to. Uh, there's also a parent's uh, mother's nursing room just behind the curtain as well. And there's some kid, kids packs going around. Uh, if you didn't get one, just stick your hand up 
and, um, and Karen will make sure that you get one, uh, so please do that as well. But um, we're, as we've seen in the video, we're looking at a, a pretty confronting topic. I just want to flag that from the start, looking at the reality of life and of death. I um, just want to say, um, yeah, this will be a sensitive topic for, for many of us. Uh, after the sermon, uh, during the songs, um, Pauline from the pastoral care team and myself will be available uh, for prayer if you'd like to pray with us just in the, the middle there. We'd love to do that for you. But I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to pray for us uh, as we engage with God's Word this morning. So join with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Word. We ask that it would comfort our hearts, especially those who are troubled this morning. Would your transcendent peace and love be upon us? But Lord, also for those of us who are feeling comfortable, would your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword convict us, challenge us this morning, and help us all to see Jesus more clearly? And above all, would you be glorified? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever had prayers that were not answered? Have you ever had a prayer that wasn't Answered. I remember it was Sarah and myself, my first wedding anniversary, and we'd gone away up the coast, um, when well, New South Wales up the coast for a couple of nights. Uh, you know, tried to sort of get away, switch off that sort of thing, uh, and yet I couldn't stay away from my phone, not because I'm an addict, but because of the news that was coming through. See, there was a dear friend of ours, a lady called Karen, who was severely ill. Uh, she was on the staff team at the church that I worked for. In fact, I was, she was even one of my bosses. And uh, she was this beautiful lady, full of life, had an incredible capacity for people. One of those people that um, their, their presence in the room just made everyone a little bit lighter, a little bit more filled with joy. Uh, one of those people that just had this gift of just knowing, not just, remember not just your name, but all these intricate details about yourself. She really embodied the gift of hospitality. Now, just a few days before we went away, I actually interviewed Karen at a newcomers event. And Karen was just full of joy. She'd just come back from this big overseas trip with her daughter, uh, seeing Italy, and she was just on this full high. And I was interviewing her about church, and she was just sharing joy as she, Karen normally did. Two days later, she's rushed to emergency hospital. Uh, she'd uh, contracted meningococcal, and even worse than that, her brain was expanding uh, to the rate in which they had to drill her skull to relieve some pressure. And Sarah and I were away, first, honey, first um, anniversary, and, uh, and we're, we're just getting these updates. Uh, and our prayers, they become more desperate, more dire as the situation worsens. We feel torn about what should we do? We're meant to be away, and yet with this news of Karen and her health getting worse and worse, what should we do? And so eventually we cut our anniversary short. We drive south a couple of hours uh, to see her in hospital. Uh, she was on life support. She was a shadow of a woman that I'd seen and interviewed a few days earlier. And a few hours later, Karen went home to be with the Lord. She would die. Now, why did God allow that to happen? Why does God allow such terrible suffering, especially those who are seemingly innocent, seemingly who have done so much good in this world and for the Lord? Now, this question, 
Why does God allow this? Suffering, pain, death. It's perhaps the most commonly asked question about God. For the unbeliever, and I'm sure there are some in this room, it's a real barrier to belief in God. If God is loving, why doesn't He end suffering? Or perhaps He is loving, but just doesn't have the power. He wants to, but He can't change things. But for those of us, and most of us in this room, who are believers in God, believers in Jesus, it can be, an engage, it can be a barrier to us engaging with God. Why doesn't He, or why didn't He answer my prayers? It's not just a philosophical question, of course, it's deeply personal. When I was a toddler, I lost my baby brother, Matthew. Now, I don't remember it, but my mum, decades later, she's still deeply wounded, carries those scars. I know parents and mothers in particular right now are grieving because they have experienced loss through miscarriage. And many of others in this room have family or friends facing serious illness, cancer, in deep, dark places, suicidal thoughts. If you ever had to go to a funeral of someone younger than you, there's something profoundly disturbing and unnatural about that. You know, seeing someone's Facebook profile pic change to now become a memorial in loving memory of. Death. It's our greatest enemy. One of the certainties of life. Something that we don't sort of like talking about, engaging with as a culture. You know, many of us will never even see a dead body in our life, except perhaps on a screen. We don't even like using the word dying. prefer things like passed away, gone to a better place, or, you know, at least the suffering is gone. Um, I was, last week, I was just hanging out with my parents, and uh, we we're just reflecting on people that we know that have cancer, and, and some of my parents' friends, and even one of my cousins, and, and my dad, who's just a pretty, you know, chipper, upbeat, positive guy, he was just getting uncomfortable, and he just changed the subject. He's like, all right, hey, it was great to spend time with you guys. You know, we're a young church. Uh, most of us in this room are under 40. And we often think that, hey, well, we've got decades to go. Death, that, that's a future me problem. If I'm honest with myself, that's often how I think. But we can't just stick our head in the sand. The reality is that the longer we live, the more and more people we will see die. And it's an enemy that we will all have to face. You know, it's like the big boss in a video game. You need to face them. We need an answer or it's game over. This question I want to explore this morning is how do we face death? How do we face death? And as we look at the story of Lazarus this morning, we're going to enter into the darkness so that we can see the light. We're going to engage with the brokenness so we can behold the beauty. I want us to have an, an uncomfortable conversation about this topic. As we see, as we look at, explore this topic, I want to see the key to facing death is faith. Not just a surface level, level green and bare, not an intellectual, yeah, yeah, I know that things will work out. Something more robust, something that engages our hearts, our souls, as well as our minds. Definition of faith, which I think is, is helpful, if you take nothing else, then remember this, that faith is trusting God through tears. Faith is trusting God through tears. As we gaze upon our Lord 
Jesus Christ. We're going to see he is one worth having faith in. To understand this passage, we're going to zoom in on the shortest verse in this passage. In fact, the shortest verse from the whole Bible. Two profound words that give us comfort and hope. Jesus wept. This comes from verse number 35 that Waylon read for us. And I want to understand the context around this, to see the reality of the darkness, but then the beauty of the light. We'll see that we have a God who not only cares deeply about our suffering, but has the power to end it. Church, there is hope. So please keep John 11 open uh, in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, I'd love to give you one. You can grab one from the info desk on your way out. And if you've been tracking with us over the last uh, six weeks, uh, you will remember the key uh, to these seven signs in John. The key, in fact, to understanding the whole biography, the whole book of John comes from John 20, 30 to 31. Uh, And John says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these particular, these seven are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. It's no accident that as we look at the last sign in John's Gospel, it's the seventh sign, number seven, the number of completion. And you'll see this is the climax. If you've been reading John's Gospel, this is really the climax of the whole book. It's just days before Easter, days before the death of Jesus. If you've got your Bible there, look down to verse 53. After this miracle, a bunch of people decide to follow Jesus, and that's why there's this big crowd, uh, and Jesus in a few days will enter into Jerusalem. And remember Palm Sunday, they're praising Jesus, that kind of thing. But at the same time, while he's growing in popularity, he's also growing with his adversaries. And look down in verse 53, it says, from that day on, they, that's the religious leaders, they made plans to put him to death. And so Jesus, therefore, no longer could walk openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. So the tension is rising. It's all building after this account with Lazarus. So in John 11, let's go back to verse 1. We'll just go back a bit before what Waylin read for us this morning. Come with me to verse 1. Let's set the scene. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, him who you love is ill. Now, in John's Gospel, if you've noticed this over the last few weeks, uh, a lot of names are missing. Uh, We don't actually know the name of the the couple or the wedding at Cana where Jesus turned water into wine. Uh, The official son who was healed from the point of death. uh, The blind man we saw last week, we don't get his name either. But here, we get not one, but three names. Three people that Jesus loved deeply. Two sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, who you can read a bit more about in Luke chapter 10. And Lazarus, their brother. Now, of course, Jesus loves everyone, right? But in particular, in his humanity, he, he was just like us, right? We, we love everyone, but, but um, sometimes. But, but in particular, in particular, Jesus, uh, in his humanity, in his fully relational um, humanness, he had these closer people in his life. He had Mary, Martha, and Lazarus as his dear friends. 
um, we'll see that Mary in chapter 12, uh, she's the same woman that was anointing Jesus. Um, and they have a brother, Lazarus, who is dying. And so how does Jesus respond to his dear friends He in their time of need? We'll jump down to verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What's going on there? Lazarus is sick. Jesus hears the news. He loves him. He loves the sisters. And so what does he do? Well, he rushes off to... No, he doesn't. He stays put for two days. Can you imagine that? Our baby Harrison, he, uh, a couple of months ago, uh, we rush off to the hospital. He's not eating. He's hardly breathing. Can you imagine if the triage nurse says, hey, hey, yeah, yeah look, just wait there a couple of days. Maybe go home, come back on Tuesday. I'll deal with you then. No, like, that's awful. Like, can you imagine that? Why did Jesus do this? Jesus, who had healed the official son, he'd healed the man who was blind for 38 years. He's got the power, and yet he waits. He avoids, he delays, procrastinates. Why does Jesus do this? Well, if you've got your Bibles open, and good, good, another good reason to bring your Bibles, you'll notice, I was a bit sneaky, I skipped a verse. You pick up on that. Go back to verse 4. When Jesus heard the news that he's sick, he says this, the illness does not, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus has a plan. Remember back in John chapter 9 last week, um, Jesus said that this man uh, was blind so that God would be glorified. And here he's saying, I'm delaying so that God would be glorified. I'm asking you to have faith, to trust in me, even through tears. And also it says that the Son of Man, Jesus, Son of God, Jesus himself would be glorified, not so that he can be some hero, but so that the sign revealing his glory, revealing his identity of who he is, the life he has on offer may be believed, may be made known to the world. That's why he says that this illness does not lead to death. That's Jesus' confidence. Jesus knows who he is and what he must do. So if we jump down to verse 11, he says to his disciples that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. Jesus' confidence and his power and his authority is that even though Lazarus has in fact died, Jesus just calls it sleep. That's his confidence. Death to Jesus can be like sleep. His disciples, you know, classic disciples, they don't get it. They're like, hey, if he's asleep, we'll just wake him up, right? It'll be okay. Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't get it. He says plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then he says something pretty shocking in verse 15. He says, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. His friend Lazarus has died. He's glad he wasn't there. What's Jesus asking of his disciples? Well, he's asking them to have faith. He's asking them to trust him, to see that his plans are good, that he is in control, even through tears. That's what faith is, trusting in God through tears. Now, why do we trust in God? 
Well, because of Jesus. As we see who Jesus is, we see he is both fully man and also fully God. Now, we need to understand both of these natures. And once we do, we can have confidence that we can trust Jesus even with our death, even through tears. And so two things we're going to see about Jesus in his humanity, his passion. We're going to see the passion of Jesus. Um, and then we're going to see the power of Jesus. Um, now, one mistake that I think sometimes we have is to you know, over-spiritualize Jesus, to, to make him sort of removed, sort of aloof, sort of far off from our experience. And we sort of think, well, Jesus is impervious to, to suffering, to, to harm, to evil, to temptation. It's like Jesus is some sort of spiritual superman. But as we look at his interactions, we'll see that he understands our pain and understands our suffering. Come with me to verse 17. This is where Waylon kicked off for us this morning. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, after Jesus, remember, he'd waited for a couple of days before going to Bethany. Now, by now, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Four days. Now, I don't think this is an accident. Jesus is really showing that he is dead. Now, back then, there was a sort of a mystical Jewish belief that um, perhaps for three days, the soul of a body would hover over that person. And so maybe there was still life there. And that, that wasn't believed by Jesus. But I think he's saying that even then, no, it's going beyond that point. And by now, the grieving had started. Back then, first century Jewish culture, grieving was a professional business. In fact, even if you were poor, you, were, you typically have at least two professional mourners would come to a funeral. People that would like publicly be paid to, to cry and wail and help that grieving process. Now, Lazarus is probably a reasonably wealthy guy, and so he probably had many more than two. And there's a bunch of people that are grieving and mourning with Mary and Martha. The older sister Martha, she realizes uh, that Jesus is coming, you know, older sister, she's being proactive and she goes to meet Jesus in private. And look at what she says and look at the, the desperation and the, um, the, the, the tone in her voice. She says this in verse 21, Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd just been here, now, we told you about this. We cried out. We prayed to you. And you weren't here. Now, she's not complaining at this point. I think she's, she's just pouring out her heart to her Lord. She comes in faith. She actually recognizes his power. She's right. She sees that Jesus does have the power to heal. He would have done something about this if he were there. Look at how she continues. Verse 22, she says, even now, her brother's just died, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Wow. Even now, after seeing her brother die, after seeing the man who was capable of healing not be there, even now, I know that, I, that you have power and that your prayers will be answered, Jesus. Come down to verse 32, we'll see a similar Interaction from her younger sister, Mary. 
Um, so Mary, uh, she sees that Jesus has come into town. She quickly responds, and she's also in tears. Verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same response from her sister, Mary. For how does Jesus respond? These two sisters that had poured out their hearts about Jesus not being there. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus, in his humanity and his passion, he is deeply affected by this situation. He's not impervious. He doesn't just kind of you know, be some magician, just perform miracles. No, no, he is deeply moved, troubled in his spirit. And uh, this, this word deeply moved, in the Greek uh, original uh, language, the, embry, the word is embrymai, it literally means snorting like an angry horse. So kids, what I want you to do now is to, can you guys make a noise like an angry horse? Ready? There we go. There we go. He's snorting like an angry horse. He's fired up. He's angry about what had happened. It's not just sadness. Why is he so angry? The theologian B.B. Warfield, about 100 years ago, he writes this, I think so helpfully, about what Jesus is feeling. He says this, The spectacle of the distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death. It's unnaturalness. It's violent tyranny. It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him, that Satan, who has the power of death, and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage, and he advances to the tomb as a champion who prepares for conflict. Jesus, he's fired up like this angry beast. He's, he's, he's upset, and he's, he's angry at death itself. Now, he's not out of control, but he's deeply moved deeply enraged. Have you ever felt anger at suffering? Not just sad, but maybe uh, in, inside you've felt this rage. You've shouted, you've punched something, you've sworn, you've cried out to God, why? Why did you let this happen? That sense in which you felt cheated by death. This morning, Jesus he feels that pain with you. He feels that rage towards death and suffering with you. Death, Jesus says, is not natural. We've been created by God in his image. We've been given souls. We are to live eternally, forever with him. That's God's plan. And yet our enemy, death, it stands in its way. Let's keep reading. Verse 34. And Jesus said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, See how he loved him. Jesus, he's filled with his anger, with his rage. He's got this moment of urgency. Where's the body? He gets to the tomb. And literally, Jesus wept means not just this little crocodile tears. No, no, he's bursting with emotion into tears, tears 
of sadness, tears of anger, tears of love. When experiencing suffering and even coming face to face with death, looking to Jesus, we see something completely different from every other religion, every other worldview. Now, I'd love to talk about this in more detail. We might do a God on tap next year or in future years, talking about this question of suffering. But let's just look briefly at a couple of different responses. How else might we process this apart from Jesus? Well, atheism, a naturalistic worldview, would say something like, you know, death and suffering are, are, are natural. They're just ordinary course of life. Richard Dawkins, perhaps the, the, the high prophet of atheism, the most inf- influential atheist in the world, he says that DNA just is and we dance to its music. Buddhism says that suffering is a result of desire. If you want to end suffering, just stop caring. Islam literally means submit to Allah. The Muslim, they, they cannot question Allah. It, it is just what it is. Hinduism says that suffering is the result of sin, karma, bad karma. My friend, Karen, your friend, your family member with cancer, the reason why they have that is because they deserve it. It's their actions, maybe in a previous life, but it's their fault. Now, sometimes, sometimes we as Christians, we can fall into this trap as well. Remember last week, uh, the Jews, they asked of Jesus, hey, this guy is blind, Why is he blind? Is it because he sinned or his parents sinned? No, Jesus says, no. He was blind so that the works of God may be glorified. In the same way that we think, why is my life looking like this? You know, my plan for life was this and I'm over here. Why did this person become sick? Why is this person being taken away? It must be my fault. Church, no. That's not how the world is. That's not how... Jesus comes to, 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 to offer us a hope. But that's not how God has made things. Suffering and sin are as a result of fall, as a result of brokenness. It's complex. God has a bigger, more complex plan that we can even imagine. But in Jesus, we have something completely different to any other worldview. In the person of Jesus, in his passion, his passion, that's why I was fired up. Sorry if I scared any kids before. But, but in his passion... We have a God who suffers. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. We have a God who sees, a God who cares, a God who understands. And as Jesus weeps, he also realizes that his time, his hour of ultimate suffering is near. Which is why if you have a Bible, uh, you, you perhaps see below verse 44, the next heading is the plot to kill Jesus. Where Jesus would be violently mocked, spat on, abused, tortured, hung up on the cross for shame. Not just as a physical death, as a martyr, but absorbing the wrath, the anger, the fury of God. Here we see a man of ultimate empathy, of passion, a person that we can trust, who knows us, who we can relate to. But more than that, we see a man not just with passion, but with power. We've seen the passion of Jesus, now the power of Jesus. Keep reading back in verse 37 with me. But some of them said, Could he, could not Jesus, have, who opened the eyes of the blind, also kept this man from 
dying. Now, we've seen this already twice from the sisters. He had the power. Why didn't he come earlier? God, only, why didn't you answer my prayers? Why didn't you do this earlier? Might have been your prayer in the season of life you're in right now. Now, what good is it to have a God who cares, but ultimately has no power? Or a God who doesn't do anything about it? If Jesus was just a human or even just a prophet, a teacher, you know, the story would end there. We'd say, yeah, wow, look at how compassionate he is. That's nice, but really that's pathetic. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that uh, if Christians, if all we have to hope for is this life and Jesus' teaching, um, then Christians are pathetic. They're to be pitied amongst more than all men. If there's no hope beyond the grave for Lazarus, then what are we even doing here at church? We may as well just eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, it's a silly season. Let's just, you know, get amongst it like other Aussies. But church, family, there's more to the story. Now, the video uh, that we watched before, it sort of ruined the, the cliffhanger, you know, that I was trying to create, you know, Waylon, stop the Bible reading at verse 37, you know, what's going to happen next? But, you know, suspend your disbelief. What will happen to the dead man, Lazarus? Well, let's keep reading. Glad you asked. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Then Jesus said, take away the stone. Mary, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Remember Jesus, he'd been delayed. He'd delayed himself going to Lazarus. Now been four days. He's been in the tomb. Kids, I need your help now. How might Jesus be smelling? What do you think? Um, I love how the King James Bible puts this. It says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. So kids, can you guys go, ew, stinky, ew, stinky, that's right, that's right. He's been, his body had been rotting away for four days. But look at Jesus' power and his control of the situation. Jesus said in verse 40, he said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He tells Lazarus' sister, Martha, through his tears, through her tears, have faith. Faith is trusting in God through tears. So keep reading. Verse 41. They took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've always heard me. And I thank you that you always, you always hear me. But I've said this, I've said this out loud on the count of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Through Jesus' tears, he, he prays this prayer of faith to God the Father. And we see the reason for his delay is he wants to make a statement. He wants to show people who he is, that he has authority over even death. He has the power to save and the power to bring life so that people would see that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing in him, they may have life in his name. And verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, turn it down a little bit, Lazarus, come out! Come out, Lazarus! The man who had died, he came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, 
unbind them, let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who came out with Mary had seen what he did, they believed in him. They believed, they saw this dead man, Lazarus, been there for four days, wrapped up. Jesus calls him by name and he comes out of the tomb. He is alive. That's worth cheering about. That's worth saying hooray. Kids, can we say hooray? Hooray. Amazing. This man, Lazarus, he went from death to life. In the previous chapter, Jesus had said, and John 10, Jesus said that he is the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice and I call them by name. He calls out Lazarus by name and he responds, moves from death to life. Now, earlier Jesus had said, to Martha. He said this, that I am the resurrection. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Who is Jesus? He is the resurrection. If you trust in him, he has the power and he will bring you like Lazarus from death to life. Like he called out Lazarus by name, He has called you out already by name, and you are now alive. You are now on the road to eternity. You don't have to fear this final enemy. You don't have to grieve like the world does, because we have hope. Jesus is the resurrection. He's the firstborn among creation. Later, he will rise again. He ushers in a new age of eternity. He's our hope. He is our power. As Warfield said earlier, just on the cross, Jesus is like a champion heading for conflict, and he will take on our biggest enemy of death. In Jesus' humanity, he died the death that we all deserve, but he didn't stay dead. In his divinity, as the Son of God, he conquered death, defeating it, rising gloriously on the third day. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? After Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection, he asked her this. He said, you know, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Do you believe? Do you believe this, Martha? What about you? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus has authority over death, do you, do you trust Jesus with your life and with your death? Not just up here, yeah, I'm a Christian, I know that, yeah, Jesus died for my... No, no, do you in here, do you trust him when your prayers aren't answered? Do you trust him when things that you expect from him don't get laid out? You know, Jesus doesn't promise us healing in this life. He doesn't promise us a house. A marriage, a family, doesn't promise us wealth or health or even happiness. In fact, he says that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. But he does promise that he sees us, he knows us, he understands in his passion. He's walked the road before us. And he also promises and shows us that in his power, he has defeated death. As I invite the band up, and as we think about Christmas, as we approach Christmas, you know, it's easy to be distracted. A lot of good things coming up, family, food, friends, presents, time off. But it's so tempting, 
right? To just go through the motions. You know, we've done this sort of thing before we know how the Christmas rhythm works. But let me ask you this. What difference does the death and resurrection make for you this Christmas? Maybe you're here this morning and you actually haven't put your trust in Jesus. You've been holding back. Well, this morning, Jesus offers you good news, eternal life, the gift of eternity, the gift of defeating death, the death of death. It's on offer for you this morning. Uh, I'll pray a prayer uh, in a moment. And as I said, um, Pauline and myself will be available. I'd love to pray with you afterwards. This gift is on offer for you because Jesus has overcome death. But for those of us, perhaps most of us who already are Christian, we already are trusting in Jesus. You know, what if we really believed and embraced the power of the resurrection this Christmas? The power that's already been given to us, nothing we have to muster up, it's it's already received it. Have we realized with this clarity that life is short? Embrace the eternity that is on offer already been given to us. And it's not just been given to us as well. This offer is for your friends, your family, your colleagues, your neighbors, that they too, like Lazarus, they too, like you, can be victorious over death. The resurrection changes everything. I began by sharing of my friend Karen. Uh, This is one of the last photos taken of her with her widowing husband, widower husband Peter. Now, while our prayers of healing, they weren't answered then. I was able to see even just a glimpse of how God used this awful situation for his glory. Uh, That next week, it was Karen's funeral. And by far the largest funeral I've ever been to, um, nearly a thousand people went. It was incredible. There was traffic jams just to get there. It was madness, but it was incredibly beautiful. It was so evident from her life that Jesus was her Lord and that now she got to be with him. I saw God use this terrible tragedy for his glory. And the next few weeks and months uh, at church, the community, there was this real sadness, this real emptiness as we had lost such a key member of our church family. But through her death, there was this incredible unity. We grieved together with the comfort, knowing that Jesus was weeping with us, that he cares, and that also he had the power to resurrect Karen and bring her in glory. We didn't grieve like the world without hope. And church, for those of us who are grieving, we grieve with the confidence, knowing that the final enemy of death has been defeated. Why don't you join with me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his passion, that he sees, that he knows, that he cares, that he understands, that he weeps with us, that he is grieved by this tragedy of death cutting lives short. And yet thank you, Lord Jesus, for your power, that you were more than just empathy, but you had the power, you have the power to bring death to life. We thank you that we have already received that gift in Jesus. For those of us here this morning, though, uh, who have not yet been trusting in you, Lord, I do pray for us. I thank you that you have died for us on the cross. We thank you that you have risen 
from the dead and that we too may rise. Lord, we believe this and we want to put our trust in you or recommit today. And Lord, for all of us who are grieving, would you comfort us? Would you help us carry each other's burdens? And would you help us share this incredible gift to the world over Christmas? We pray this all for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.